Hello and welcome to the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You listen to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, very good, man. I've been I've been really looking forward to doing this one because I feel like well, we were just having a little chat there, weren't we? Saying it's like an end of season show, but halfway through the season, isn't it? It's, a, it's been nice to sort of reflect on everything that's happened so far, and I guess it reflects on the podcast as well because I feel like. I think this season, perhaps maybe we haven't been as consistent as we have been in previous seasons. We've both had lots going on, but I've also enjoyed the introduction of the occasional Monday night football. I've mm. really enjoyed writing the articles for Portugal. I feel like, yeah, it's been a it's been a good half season for us as well, I'd say. Been a good half season, definitely. And hopefully lots more to come. Hopefully there'll be some cool stuff uh, over the World Cup break and into the new year. Um, and yeah, so just to explain what this week is going to be, because there's such a long time without any Premier League of football. I think I'm right in saying that Premier League is finished now and it won't be back until the second weekend in January. So we've really got, I think, eight weeks or something crazy like that, seven or eight mm-hmm. weeks without any Premier League of football. So the break has really crept up on us and taken us by surprise a little bit. Um, so we thought this week... With the break upon us, we will do a mid-season review where we're going to go through all the teams in the league and talk about their seasons so far. We're going to start at the top of the table and end right down at the bottom. So hopefully there will be a lot to discuss. Oh, well, sorry, I've got to butt in. I've got a very quick question, which I don't quite understand. What's going on with the Tassa de Portugal? Is, is that happening during the World <laughs> Cup? I think it is. Yeah, no, I think it genuinely is. Although, to be honest, I'm not sure either. So I think Cup games are continuing. So... If for whatever reason you want your Portuguese football fix, you'll be able to watch some cup games. Um, but obviously all the World Cup players will be will be absent. Yeah. So I suppose that makes things a bit more interesting. I suppose it evens things up a bit for the for the smaller sides. Yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be nice. It'll be very interesting. So we'll keep we'll keep one eye on that. But of course, I'm sure most people's focus will be on the World Cup. So uh we're also looking forward to watching the World Cup. Should be a good one this year, as always. Um all right, well, let's get started. And we're gonna start at the top. We're gonna start with Benfica, we've got to try and keep this conversation interesting, Barney, because the temptation is just to go, Benfica are great, everything's going well, and we can't really fault them. But I know we've got uh, a lot of Benfica listeners, so we should give some time and consideration to Benfica rather than uh, just summing it up in one sentence. So obviously there's been a lot of positives for Benfica, Barney, but if you could narrow it down into maybe one or two key things that have gone better for Benfica just to summarise they're obviously at the top of the table they're unbeaten in the league this season they almost went every single game with a win uh, but they've had a a draw two along the way so uh, a fantastic season for Benfica they look much improved on last year uh, and in a really really strong position at the top of the table the main thing for me I think has been the high standards that Roger Schmidt has brought into this Benfica team because particularly considering the Benfica teams we've seen over the past few years, I just feel like the the standard across the board has been exemplary, really. And I think part of that is to do with the fact that there's been enough changes to this starting eleven to, mm. to get everyone on board. If you see what I mean, and I think I even think something like someone like Darwin Nunes, if he is still around, you know, mm. he may not have brought into the pressing game or something. Smith wanted to Smith wanted to implement, you know. But there's not a single sign of anyone kicking up a fuss or, or go, wanting to go against the grain. It feels like every absolutely every mm. single one of these players is on board. And I think you know, point a standout point for me was just just this weekend, just gone. You know, in the three-one win against Silva, you know, 
free run up 88 minutes and he Roger Smith's on this touchline organizing the press making sure everyone's doing their job what we've seen from Pat's Porter and Sporting this season is that it only takes a few minutes for to let points slip you know you have to be on it all the time and I think Roger Smith's got that and he's you know that's gone through into this Benfica scene each and every single one of those players well, let's talk about Roger Smith Barney because obviously the new manager is one of the big changes this season and and let's be honest one of the big improvements and I was thinking about this during the week in the build up to this show um because I wanted to I wanted to compare George Jesus and Roger Smith and again it's the same thing where my temptation is just to um you know to to make a joke of it and write off George Jesus and uh, and talk about how sort of how rubbish he was and he wasn't great but I I want to I want to uh, address this seriously for a moment I think when you look at George Jesus's time at, at Benfica, the second spell, the most recent spell, um, look, George Jesus, for everything we said about him, all the criticisms we had, he, he's he's a good football manager, right? He knows mm. how to get wins and he knows how to set up a team to win. But I think George Jesus was just an, an example, an example of a manager from a different time when a manager could be a kind of enigma in themselves and 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 that was quite a popular way of managing you you think about you know Sir Alex Ferguson's Brian Clough's managers like that who themselves were these kind of characters and enigmas that dominated a dressing room um dominated a team and I think he just found himself a little bit outdated in a way that I don't think you can be that kind of character in a, in a top team dressing room anymore and get away with it I mean obviously we don't know the the full stories but there were those rumors about Fallings out with players like senior players like Pitsy, Pitsy and Andre Almeida, which led to the end of his time there. But it does kind of suggest that you know he was a manager of, of a slightly different time, and and while he was able to set up Benfica to win, he wasn't able to do what a modern manager needs to do, which is command the respect of his players in in such a way that they buy into the way he wants to play and commit to the system, which is what we see the best managers in the world these days doing. You know, Pep Guardiola, uh, Jurgen Klopp, those managers they get their players to buy into their system and that's how they, they achieve so much when you're in a situation where every player knows how to play the system and you can slot new players in. And I think Roger Smith is much closer to that uh, type of manager. I think Benfica have got a very comfortable system that they're happy with. Obviously, they've got a quite strong first 11. At this point, it's quite a solidified first 11. We, kind of, we can name it, you know. Um, but even when players have come in, it's players that know the system and just slot into their positions well. Um, and even the signings that he made were with that in mind. And I think that's helped them settle in. So I think, to be fair, they're in a much better position because they've got a manager more suited, in my opinion, to managing a top club in the modern game. And I think I did just mention the signings there. That's another big thing. The signings have worked this season. It's something that didn't happen under George Jesus, which was the same. But, you know, you look at the players that they've brought in, Enzo Fernandez off to a flyer, David Nerez off to a flyer, and even some of the players they've kind of brought back into the fold. Florentino Luis, like they gave more minutes to Morato. Antonio Silva's been a revelation. So a lot of things going well, but that's not by accident is what I'm trying to say. I think they've, uh, they've you know, planned for the season in a really professional and way and a way that I think reflects the way the best teams in modern football these days set up teams for a successful season. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And Pat Salah, if we just focus on the players a little bit there, because, you know, Neres obviously sticks out, who's far better than Everton so really know who they had last time I think obviously Enzo Fernandez is just that that I, perhaps actually that's the key area isn't it that central midfield positions where mm. you've got now got Enzo Fernandez and Frontino or Ausnes 
and you compare that to last seasons and season before it's like it's it's miles better miles miles better yeah um and I, I just there's one little player i wanted to I say little player there's one player i wanted to focus on <laughs> because I, I well i feel bad because i don't think either of us have spent enough time on antonio silva generally on this podcast i, I, I don't yeah. think we've praised him enough but i actually wanted to talk about Otamendi because I just think back to the disrespect we gave him when he first arrived in Portugal. <laughs> we wrote him off. We said he didn't have it. But to mate, be fair, in our defence, he was absolutely shocking when he first joined. He was dreadful. He I, and and you know what? I think he's thirty-four now, and he's unreal. He's you yep. know the, the, I think about the praise he gave to Quates, the praise we given to Pepe on occasions. You know the way Otamendi's been playing is he, he deserves a lot of that praise as well because he's he's been absolutely fantastic alongside Silva. Yeah, 100%. Um, in planning for the show, Barney, we've put in basically a positives and negatives section for each team. So uh, so to move on to the negative section for Benfica, I was struggling to really think of anything because I think it is, in general, full marks across the board. I suppose the only thing we've perhaps considered wasn't the best um, in the past was perhaps the fact that they didn't quite recruit enough players in attacking positions. I thought Peter Musa was perhaps not the best signing up front and they didn't really recruit players on the wings. But that hasn't really affected them so far this season. And other than that, I don't think there's really something we can call out as a major negative. Obviously, the success has not been not only in um, the domestic competitions, the league and the cup, but also in the Champions League. So, yeah, for me, not really much to say in terms of negative for Benfica. It's not a negative, but they've been fortunate with injuries. They haven't really had any major ones. And I guess that's that was the only sort of question going forward, as you alluded to there. No, I think it's it's very hard to pick out negatives. I think, I mean, one thing I wanted to bring up as well, because I was thinking, you know, uh, that, that excellent thread by um, the Swiss Ramble on Twitter, uh, who, did, who delves into the finances of clubs and he, he did Benfica. And for me, which what was fascinating is, despite their spending over the past few seasons and, and including COVID, they're not anywhere near coming into financial fair play uh, reg- regulations. So there's no there's no risk of that, and that could mean that there's a, there's a bit of money in the bank to to spend in January to 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 add a bit of depth, add a bit of strength, and and you know with with what what they've done in the Champions League, you know you can always bank on them getting a bit more money because I I fancy them to go far in the Champions League as well. So yeah, it's that. That's not negative at all, is it? That's the positive. I just have one more thing. I, I I don't know if you want to give from the title already, but I did see a stat saying that there's been. Is it that no team leading by eight points at this stage in the season has lost? Yeah, in Portugal. That's true. I think it was Benfica under Bruno Lage who had a seven point lead by January and they managed to throw it away. But right, um, I did see that stat as well. And and at the moment, you do unfortunately for our. Porto, Sporting, and Braga fan listeners. Uh, unfortunately, you don't and quite Caspian. see <laughs> and <Casabia. laughs> You don't quite see where the slip up uh, is coming from, but it remains to be seen. Um, well, look, let's move. Let's move on to Porto Barney. Um, obviously, a slightly mixed season for them, but they still find themselves in second place, albeit eight points currently behind the leaders. You know, football is often about sliding doors moments, and I think back to before the Classico, when they were just three points behind Benfica and a win in that game would have put them top of the table on, on head-to-head after you know some really disappointing results. But since then, they they lost that game and, and have dropped points since. And now they're eight points uh, adrift of the title race. They've won nine, drawn two and lost two. But in many ways, there's still positives to talk about. They've 
responded well to losing some of their best players, in my opinion. Patino and Fabio Vieira were, were, were big losses and they've they've not quite replaced them. And yet still in, in players like Steven Eustachio, they've managed to fill the void uh, to some extent. And I think a certain amount of, of, of credit must be given to Porto for obviously the losses and the draws, especially to teams like Rio Ave are, are, are damaging. But I've always found them to be quite resilient and, and to bounce back. And I think they could be in a worse position than they are now if they'd let their heads drop. But I think there's still the fighting spirit in the team. Uh, there's still quality in, in the side. And there's still some some uh, reason for optimism, especially with uh, especially with success in the Champions League as well. Yeah, I think the Champions League is, is once again, it's, it's huge for them. And it just shows, uh, for, for me, it just highlights that, you know, that, how good a manager Conchasau is, you know, mm-hmm. I think we'd both agree that, that this squad doesn't seem to be as strong as last year, but he's, they're still performing when, generally when it matters, obviously we've had those slip-ups, but yeah, no, I think, I think there are positives to be found. I think for me, uh, like as you alluded to, the, the players that came in actually last year, both Pepe and Ustakio, but both players who sort of took their time to get into the starting and were both excelling. I'm sorry to move on to the negative out, but I think that's the, 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 the thing it's the thing I've got most to say about Porto is that I feel like really Cogetel has been let down by some of his players this season because I they, I feel like they could be closer to Benfica. And I think there's been some drop-offs in form from players like um, Evan Nilsson, João Mario hasn't really got any better from last year when I was expecting him to sort of push on perhaps. From, and, and David Carmo is another, another obvious one. You know, these are the, a, a huge signing for them in the summer and and, and really not delivered. I think they, those players dropping out of form has cost them those points. And yeah, like I, like I was saying, I feel like if Conscious, if, if his players have played better, Conscious and Porto could be in a, in a slightly stronger position. I think I would agree in a sense that I, I, I don't think Conscious has done any different, anything different this season than what he did last season when they were so successful. So in that sense, you do kind of have to point to the fact that it's the squad itself that's not quite living up to the same expectations. It's funny because you know, last season we were talking about Porto in the same way that we were talking about Benfica this season, you know, about a team that looked invincible or a team that that looked unstoppable and where everything was clicking and going right. Obviously not been the case uh, this season, but as you say, the squad is 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 not the same as it was last year. Steven Eustacco has been a great positive, in my opinion. I think the fact that he was a relatively cheap signing, a domestic signing, and he's living up to to their expectation and, and contributing on the, on the pitch is, is excellent. Um, but it's, it's not, as well. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you know, there's not the, the squad is quite weak when you look at the back four, and as you say, Joao Mario at right back doesn't fill you with confidence. Um, Pep's been injured. Uh, Fabio Cardoso, who was something of an outcast last season, is, is bizarrely enough found himself with Pep's injury and David Carmo's poor form, the linchpin of the defense, with some people even claiming he should be called up. For to Portugal for the World Cup. Uh, a really incredible turnaround in form for him and I'm pleased for him. But yeah, David Carmo, a big disappointment, especially when he spent 20 million euros on a player from from Braga, the, the highest domestic transfer ever in Portuguese league and and someone that I thought was was worth the money and, and almost a safe bet as a transfer. Disappointment from him not to really step up and, and, and be able to contribute as much as we'd hoped to the team. So there are just holes in the team that, that uh, you know, haven't been plugged and there aren't obvious solutions to. So it's a limited squad that is probably not going to be able to keep up with the standards that they set last season. And of course, when you've got a team like Benfica who are just blowing everyone away, the gap looks big 
Uh, and I think perhaps it, it's the unfortunate thing is that in other seasons, maybe they wouldn't have been so far behind the leader. Maybe they wouldn't have been against an opponent like Benfica, who are so imperious. But look, it is what it is. It's the season that it is. And, and in my opinion, if we're talking about what they should be doing the rest of the season, just consolidating second place, that's got to be the aim now, Getting securing the Champions League football for next season because we know that's money in the bank. And look, they're still in the Champions League, right? They've matched everything that Benfica have done in the Champions League. They also won their group. So, you know, they should be aiming to have a good run in that competition. And, and if they drop down into the Europa League, a good run in there as well. So there are opportunities for them to still succeed uh, this season, even if winning the title is probably something they might have to uh, be humble about and say is not really in their hands. Just on the, the Champions League football there, Robert, because and this is going a bit broad, broad topic rather than specifically for Pause, but I, I, I feel like it's easy for us to, you know, perhaps be we have been quite critical of Porter there for their league exploits, but I just feel that this season again has proved that Portuguese clubs in the Champions League are really need to be reckoned with, and and I've listened to a couple of podcasts since the the group stage has finished, and I think I heard. You know, it's it was contradicting because you know it's, there was lots of people sort of saying that, always saying like you should be worried about the Portuguese clubs that, that they should mm. you know there should be no bother, and then and at the same time like you know making excuses for uh, Tottenham and stuff like that for for not doing it. I guess the point I'm trying to make out is that I think that, that these achievements by both Porto and Benfica are absolutely huge, and I think really show, show the quality of of, of club both the, both these teams are and, and and the quality that this league can produce. Absolutely. I would absolutely echo that. And I think it's been, um, yeah, a really successful European year for, for Portuguese clubs so far. Well, let's do Braga Barney in third place, 28 points, only one point behind Porto in second uh, and nine points behind Benfica. There was a time not so long ago when we were talking about Braga as genuine challengers for the title. They were the team in second place. Since then, they, they've let it slip a little bit and now sit in third place. How much of a disappointment is that to you, Barney, or do you think it's a bit harsh to call Braga sitting in third place a disappointment? I, I don't know if we got carried away with that. Their, their start to the season, you know, the the their goal scoring was just I, I never didn't see it coming. I was very unexpected, in that, and and they just seemed so rampant. And and then it's it did dry up a little bit. I I think I was surprised to see Arthur George's job being reported as being under threat recently, you know, with them mm. going out of um, the, the Europa League and and, and this drop-off in form. But I'm still inclined to say that, you know, seeing how Sporting are doing it, this is a, still a real opportunity for them to disrupt the big three, right? And and, and that this would, that would always be a... Every Brown fan would take that at the, at the beginning of the season. I think the thing that's... The, the biggest positive for me for Braga is, is this... The strength and depth, you know, I think the, the the options they have in attack now, the options they have in the midfield, and we have seen Arthur George, you know, rotate his teams. There's been lots of players coming in and out, and sometimes that's worked really well. I think also sometimes that's not, perhaps in in the games that they have struggled. I think that the things that stick out for me are the losses to Chavez and Casapia, you know, but I think they're both pretty damaging. You know, they're promoted teams, both home games as well. And I remember us really praising the the, the fan base, at Braga, for the, the atmosphere they created in that draw of sporting at the beginning of the season. You know, and, and in that game they had seventeen thousand uh, seven hundred fans there. In the Chavez game they had thirteen thousand, Casapia fourteen thousand, and it seems to be getting less and less as the season progresses. And I'm, I'm, 
I don't, I don't mean I'm not singling out Braga as the only team with attendance problems or, or, or even blaming the fans for this poor form. But I just think it highlights the momentum that, that this Braga team have gone through this season. You know, they had that high, and then things are sort of calming down a bit. And yeah, it, it's I've rambled there, but I think that my, I still think it's a positive, a positive mid-season for, for Braga. I think they're in a, still in a decent position despite this tail off in form. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Anything in the top three for Braga is is fantastic. As we said, though, obviously we were a little bit carried away, and I think we have to be put our hands up and say that we, you know, we do get carried away sometimes. And I think we can dream. <laughs> we can dream, and there's times in this league when you're hoping for something exciting to happen. So um, Braga being second was very exciting. But like I said, I think the thing to reiterate is that this team is still third. You know, they're still in third place, and that is still exciting. Um, so I think there's a lot of positives that that Braga can take from the season. Um, Arta George, I think, has been a success in my opinion. I think it's really harsh. I don't even know if those rumours are true or where they've come from. So I don't know how much uh, how much credence to give them because I think he's been a fantastic manager and he's replaced Carlos Cavalier admirably. He's continued the legacy of of bringing through young players and and he's working well with the squad that he's got. I don't remember too many sort of marquee signings that they made in the summer. So. I think he's doing really well working with the squad. And absolutely, I think there's many positives for Braga to take. Dropping out of the Europa League, disappointing. But from a financial perspective, obviously, they're losing out on money. But they're still in a prestigious competition. They've got a big tie against Fiorentina. You know, they're possibly the two biggest clubs in this Europa Conference League competition facing against each other in the first knockout round. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they do in Europe. I would say for Braga, still keep the optimism, still keep the positivity because um, they could well finish in a Champions League place come the end of the season and and possibly even have a European trophy at the end of it. So imagine that if you'd said that at the beginning of the season, it would have been a great success. So I think keep the faith with Braga and uh, I still feel very positively about them. Albert, who who would be your stand-up player for them? Would it be Vitinha? Because I think he's... I really like. I think he's really started to come into his own now. I know he say that a lot, but I think in recent weeks he's been good. Yeah, Vitinha would be a standout for me. Also, Ali Almazrati, I think, has been another standout. Um, I think his level of performance has been back up to his best. And then possibly even players like Mateo Singol, who I think has been uh, a real rock in 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 goal and. Uh, you know, we always knew he was a good keeper, perhaps a bit inconsistent, but he's been consistent in the season for me. And, um, you know, arguably one of the better keepers in the league and one of Braga's better players. So I think I would give it to Vitinha, though, overall. Well, let's do Sporting Barney. And I think this is probably uh, the most disappointing uh, team this season in terms of, well, I'm going to rephrase that because uh, <laughs> Passos fans would, would disagree. Um <laughs> Uh, let's do Sporting and Barney, who themselves have have had a pretty disappointing season. Although I think after 13 games, it's looking a lot healthier than it could have with them in fourth place on 25 points, three points behind Braga and four points behind Porto and obviously 12 points off the lead because it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about them down in seventh place. You know, some of the losses that they that they faced this season have been pretty embarrassing and, and people were talking about the manager leaving. Um, Two big disappointments. Two big disappointments for me this season, Barney. Uh, the league position, obviously, but also quite a calamitous Champions League group stage. Which I haven't got a problem with them not getting through the Champions League group, but I just think the chaotic way that it happened didn't help their season. If you see what I mean, I'm not sure whether that Champions League group stage was a symptom of the 
the state that Braga that, that Sporting are in at the moment, or uh, something that contributed to the state that Sporting are in. If you see what I mean, um, so it's been a bit chaotic. It's all been very messy. Um, there's been so many moments of high emotion, uh, mainly negative but also positive. And I think just two seasons ago, Sporting won the league because they were consistently. Uh, excellent team and now that consistency seems so far away they seem like a real kind of uh, maybe it's a bit harsh but a bit of a basket case club compared to just what they were two seasons ago you know I think that's been the biggest negative for me thinking back we, we were always waiting I think something we we're saying last two seasons we we're waiting for Aaron to experience some turmoil right to see his, mm. his, his metal yeah and uh, and I guess what what perfect turmoil to experience and having your your mid your midfield gutted and not adequately replaced, <laughs> because I I think what this has all shown me Albert is that I think Amarin's man management is perhaps lacking experience. And of course, it is. He, he's a young yep. manager, and I, you, you look at his last two squads, which have done him well. You know, Potter in the first season having been at Wolves and was turned into what we thought was going to be the next biggest player in Portugal. Nuno Mendes was always unbelievable. Mateus Nunes, you know, but with all these players, you know, they were young, they were inexperienced and, and they were, you were able to mould them, right? And, and mm. we saw the best of them. But now we're, you know, we're a few seasons in, I think we're seeing perhaps a lack of ideas from Aaron and how to work with some of these different types of players. You know, his guy has been through a, a rough time, obviously, but unfortunately, you know, a player who needs to be called upon in, in, in the big games in the Champions League. And I think it was evident that he, he might not have been in the right place to to, to play those games. And uh, and I think as good as Trincao and Edwards have been in, in moments, and, and yet the fact that they've come from big clubs in the past, Barca and Tottenham, and, and not making it there for various reasons, that, that, that perhaps suggests that they need some real guidance and someone to, to focus them, right? And I think with Trincao, I'm starting to think, Perhaps he isn't motivated enough. You know, he really needs to be pushing on at this point in his career for what's happened. And we haven't quite seen that. Edwards, I think, has been misused by Amron. You know, we we I don't think we've seen him enough. I think he's been dropped uh, when perhaps he shouldn't have been. And I think perhaps Edwards is the type of character to potentially get quite affected by by those decisions. So I get, and of course, there's Pote, who, like I said, was one of the best players in the league we've seen in the league. For, for years, I would say, mm. in that title-winning season, and, and, and is now a shadow of that player. And he, the team should be built around him as well. And yet, he, he's the one moving around, fitting in gaps and accommodating other players. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, yeah, I think we're, we're really seeing with Amarinda perhaps is he, he needs that. he A more experienced manager would be able to manage these characters and the, these situations better. And, and, and he just hasn't got that experience yet to... To, to guide them to to in, into a, a better situation than they are. I'm so conflicted on on Ambrim because, on the one hand, I think he has he is culpable for 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 some of the mess that Sporting find themselves in. Although I would hasten to clarify, not the majority. Although I do think he has to take responsibility for some of it. As you say, things that we've not been happy with so far this season is the kind of stubbornness when it comes to team selection and and, and system. Um, so perhaps his team selection, the way he makes substitutes in games. Um, I think he's perhaps not been great at it and also, yeah, not made great choices and also been a bit stubborn in the choices that he, he has made. That said, I think Sporting still need to recognise when they've got a great asset uh, in not just their players, 
but in Ruben Amarim, who they need to stick by, and not only do they need to stick by, but they need to treat him in the way that they might treat a promising young player who was perhaps going through a poor patch of form. He needs support and guidance from somewhere. Um, I don't know where that comes from, to be totally honest, because I don't think there's anyone in that sporting setup who's really got the coaching experience to to guide him in that way. I don't, you know, the the board members are obviously not former players. They haven't got coaching experience. So I wonder if that's something that they could look at. Maybe they can even even look at the coaching staff or or even just, you know, getting Amarim some kind of unofficial mentorship, just getting him in the same room as some other coaches, because I think they need to recognize that he is a big asset to that club and him succeeding means that sporting su- succeeds. So it's obviously a difficult time and he's not been great, but I still believe that he will be a great manager in the future with um, the right guidance. The one thing I worry about is whether he at some point recognises that he might get that guidance from another club with another setup, maybe with a sporting director who has history, you know, history in football, that kind of setup might suit him very well. Um and I look at PSG and I think that would almost be perfect for him, which is a bit of a shame. But that said, I hope he stays definitely for this season. I hope he can can, can improve his his name because he, he's obviously taken a bit of a hit in terms of his reputation. But I still believe that he's a, a great manager and has a great future. In terms of positive funny, I just wanted to pick up a couple of players that you mentioned. Um, Marcus Edwards, who in my opinion... and. If the listeners think I'm being biased, please tell me. But I think he's been Sporting's best player this season. Probably, you could argue, Marita with him might be uh, the argument for best player. Marita, who had a slow start to the season, and I think people wondered where he would fit into this side. But I think he's really created a role for himself in central midfield. Um, that's that's impressed me. Um, but it has been a season where, as we've said a couple of times, former reliable players haven't quite performed, whether that's Pedro Gonçalves, whether that's Mateus Reese, Sebastian Croatas, um, you know, again, we find that Pedro Porro is not available all the time, even though when he does play credit to him, I think he looks very good. Um, but there's just players that they, they could rely on in the past that they no longer can. Players that they lost in the summer, big players like Mateus Nunes and, and Palinho, who they've struggled to replace. So it is difficult for sporting. And I have to say, I think, you know, a fourth place spot, might not be a million miles away from from where that squad is at the moment, if that's not too harsh to say. I think they should definitely be fighting for third, but I think they're not a top two team in the league uh, with the current squad that they've got, which is a real shame to say. Um, but I think if we're being fair and honest, that that would be my assessment of of where they're at at the moment. Yeah, I I think they will push all the way to to the end of the season for you know top three. I think that, you know that that fight's not certainly not over. Um, yeah. I I think if I was one little positive that I've I found recently, Albert is um that the sort of imminent signing of a the young Argentinian midfielder is it Talango. Mm-hmm. Um, it, for me the reason that you know because it was a few weeks ago Amron was asked about uh, January signings and he simply replied we've got youth players yeah but i feel like this signing you know compared to uh alex and opolis uh, from uh who they signed from the greek league in the summer i feel like this is a signing amber actually wants you know it's a young player that he'll be able to mold and so i think that perhaps is a, is a glimpse of hope that the sporting might be a little active in the market when perhaps we thought they 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 won't be i don't think there'll be marquee signings will there but i think there's no. still the, the 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 flip side to what I just said about players underperforming is that there's still more you can get out of the squad that they've got, which in, in a way is a small positive. So look, a lot of a lot of disappointing 
elements to this season for Sporting. Again, I did allude to the Champions League. I think that was a big one. Um, but they've got the time off over over the World Cup and in January, you know, hopefully they can come back. They've got a long time until Europe starts. They've got a January transfer window uh, and they've got, you know, a bit of a break to work with the squad. So I would, you know, I would hope that they can improve on the position that they're in and uh, and that they'll be fighting for the for the top two or the top three coming into the season. I still think that that's, that's within their grasp. Um, well, let's talk about everyone's favourite team at the moment the team in fifth place well documented as uh the keeper level as i suppose the the revelatory team so far this season of course casapia the newly promoted side who've really blown everyone away they sit on 23 points in fifth place just behind uh the top four i don't even know where you want to start with this barney because we've obviously been very positive about them for a long time um so again i'm going to ask you to frame it in a similar way that we did with Benfica, if you can kind of summarise uh, their main successes this season into a couple of like key areas, what, what would that be for you? I think the thing that really sticks out for me, Albert, is because uh, I, I think it is easy to compare them to Estro prior last season, right? Mm-hmm. But the, my under, my overall feeling is that they're, they're, they're a stronger team than, than, than Estro were, and I think that, that this is going to last yep. just because of how well settled they are. I mean, the, the fact that they're They've got is it the best or second best defense in the league at the moment is is uh, you know such a credit to a, a promoted team you know they're so well organized um, with that with that you know experienced defense but it's not experienced in terms of top level football it's experience it's you know it's players it's it's smart it's it's players who who understand the game I, it just they've come together so well. Um, you know, and, and the thing that really sticks for me out is that it would just be that that little bit better if they beat the Shavs at the weekend rather than last. <laughs> it would, yeah. And to be fair to Shavs, I think they've won three of their last four meetings with Casapia, so perhaps you know, they've got their number or whatever. But still, I think take that, forget about that. We're still seeing such a good team at the moment, and and I think what I've you know sort of going back to that point I was making earlier about how I feel they're a stronger team than Astral were last season. I think it's the fact that you know. They may still need to add a player or two in January, but I think what's been good is that we've seen players come into the team like Clayton, the striker, like Diego Pinto, you know, mm-hmm. who haven't we haven't seen much for, but they've been brought into the team to add that little bit of variety, and 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 it just keeps things good ticking over. And and yeah, I think I really think Felipe Martins has the nuance to 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 keep this up. And yeah, maybe another wing would refresh refresh that attack a little bit. Otherwise, I think they you know they're looking really sound. Absolutely, and, and I would agree with what you said there about them looking stronger than than uh, Gilles Vicente perhaps looked last year, or teams we've had similarly, you know, competing for the top five, who've come a little bit out of nowhere. You know, I think they look, and it's like there's a confidence that you have in this team, which I think comes from uh, the way they've planned the squad because everything looks like it's in place. They've got a system which all the players buy into and they've got a squad which uh, suits the system really well. I think they made some really smart moves uh, in the summer. They brought in a little bit of Premier League experience with um, with Rafael Martins. They brought in uh, Romario Barra, a player who's you know got something to prove in the Premier League, are hungry to play. And they've got all these players who've, who've played with them for a little while now. Saviour Godwin's got an opportunity to kind of show people his quality. And for me, Barney, the player of the season for them is possibly Leonardo Lello at, at left-back, the, yeah. the young player who's playing in the Portugal under-21s, who I think is 
making a name to be one of the best left backs in the league this season. So they've they've recruited really well, obviously in years gone by when we haven't been following them, they've obviously recruited well because they've ended up with a great squad, but they've continued that this summer. And I think you're looking at a team in Casapia who have planned for this moment for a long time. And when they've got here, they haven't panicked. They haven't made silly signings. They haven't brought in loads of veterans with Premier League experience. They've believed in the squad that they've got. They've believed in the manager that they've got. And of course, they're benefiting. And I think um, it's it's really wonderful to watch. Of course, the, the big looming question is, can they sustain it over a long period of time? Um, and I think that's where things could get tricky because it's not the biggest squad in the world. Uh, and the squad depth is decent, but um, a few key injuries here or there could just turn those wins into draws and, and those draws into losses. So that will be the big question. And for me, I think that's the biggest un the biggest unknown is just how long can can they sustain this? Because I look at the team now and I think everything looks great and I would back them to to sustain the form that they're on. But um, again, it remains to be seen whether other teams around them will improve, whether they'll have injuries or things like that. So um, yeah, I wouldn't quite bet on them to finish in the, in the top four just yet, but they've got a great chance of doing it, I think. I, again, I guess maybe another thing is sort of motivation. You know, with this long break now, it, it might feel like they've done it. You know, they've, they've secured safety with, with it at this point. I'm um, seeing how bad the, the teams at the bottom of the table have done. So, you know, they might have this long break and come back and think, you know, oh, what else is there to do now? But yeah. no, I, I, you know, there's that that's perhaps a bit too too harsh. But I, I think I, I love Felipe Martins, and I think perhaps. He's been probably one of the revelations of the league as a whole this so far this season. You know, a manager who's, who's brought a team up playing some really smart football. You know, it's really well organised. Obviously, defensively fantastic, and and also knowing when to take their chances. So yeah, I think they they yeah, I just I just really really like them, and I hope they can keep it up. Long may it continue. <laughs> <laughs> 